tonight we go across the ocean uh, or we examine French life over there and French life over here, or at least many of the aspects of French culture that can be enjoyed in New York and indeed in Chicago. My guests are, uh, both of them surprisingly French, Mireille Giuliano and Dominique Tunia. Mireille Giuliano is a name probably known to most of our listeners. She is the author of the bestseller of last year, French Women Don't Get Fat. Or was that earlier this year? The publication no, it was last year. was last year. Yes. And now a brand new uh, volume continuing the same quest, titled French Women for All Seasons. Dominique Tunia is one of the leading chefs of Chicago, very solidly trained in France, in fact. We are apprenticed to, among others, Joël Roubouchon, uh, and Jacques Sénéchal, uh, famous and very significant chefs. He is now the executive chef at Bistro 110, where he has been, in fact, since 1996. Alors, mes amis, ce soir, nous mm -hmm. allons parler du style de vie français. D'accord? Parfait. Ah, voilà. <laughs> bah, oui. Oui. But we'll do it in English. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, we'll talk about the, the French style of life. How did one define the French style of life? And for that matter, does it still persist? I would hope so. I mean, uh, we we have some um, some little challenges with what I call the 21st century trap, <laughs> but basically, you know, French people love food and um, have a strong and even romantic connection with food and 300 years of gastronomic rituals, and um, it's it's not something that uh, is going to disappear overnight in spite of whatever because the joie de vivre and the art de vivre is is really. Uh, part of the French culture. Well, joie de vivre, uh, joy of life. D does one find that much joie back home these days as yes. one might have when you were younger? Yes, I mean, uh, you know, when you're a young kid in France, you definitely learn with your parents, you know, the, the joy of cooking, you know, the joy of being together, being on a, those very long meals. You know, I remember being on a some weddings, anniversary, birthday, uh, uh, and all these kind of things with my family for hours around the table. And when you are a kid, it's wonderful because you eat first, then you learn, and you learn the conviviality, you, le you learn about the exchange, and, uh, and then you spend your whole day playing, and you see all those adults, they go to eat at about 12, 1 p.m., they usually don't leave their seat and they have the, the woman or the people putting back the plates in front of them and they're still eating until 11 p.m., you know, and if it's not joie de vivre, then what it is, you know? Sounds to me like a Jewish wedding in Brooklyn <laughs> when I was a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's much the same world over on festifications. There we go. <laughs> but probably the food was a little bit better than <laughs> um, Different. <laughs> different, certainly. East European versus Parisian. Yeah. How does one define French cuisine? I mean, what is distinctive, really, about French cuisine? Well, this, the ingredients, yeah, you know, we, we have so many markets and we're so uh, difficult in a way, demanding about the freshness. And we eat a lot more vegetables and fruit than uh, most of the world. And uh, we have wonderful regional cuisine, you know, from the lamb from Provence and Normandy to the duck in Burgundy and to the... Uh, Perigord or for <laughs> other stuff and you know and and the Loire Valley which in from asparagus to all the fruit and Provence with the with the figs and 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 the uh, the fish from the sea and the coquillages the oysters it's a, it's very rich and it's very small and you sort of yeah. uh, 
And you originally are uh, from Alsace. Yes, on my mother's side. What's distinctive in Alsatian cuisine? Apart well, from sauerkraut. Ask my American <laughs> husband. He, he loves it. Because, well, we have uh, great sauerkraut, great uh, sausages, yeah. but also wonderful uh, tarts, you know, tarte aux myrtilles. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, is, is, is an experience to have once in life because they are these tiny um, wild blueberries that you, you, you get in the forest and then you make this tart and it's just unbelievable. But also lots of cookies with anise seeds mm -hmm. and a wonderful uh, uh, tarte aux pommes uh, with cinnamon and a lot of cake with um, also cinnamon and cream and butter and <laughs> just endless, you know, uh, festive meals that are really rich. Butter, butter, butter. <laughs> yeah. That's all over the place. And yet we encounter, and you deal with this in your first book, uh, the so-called French paradox. Mm-hmm. What is the French paradox? Well, it's that we eat all this fattening food, we and drink wine, and we don't, yes, and we have uh, pretty, you know, our longevity is one of the best in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, I tell the story in my second book, French Woman Four Seasons, about uh, Jeanne-Louise Calment. And I picked her because she lives near my little village in Provence, oh, in yes. Arles. And she lived to be 122. She just died a few years ago. And until age 100, she was still bicycling through the town. You know. Now, what did she do? She ate three meals a day. She ate a lot of vegetables and food. Didn't she, she brag that she ate a lot of chocolate as well? Yes, didn't and wine, and, and even wine. port wine. She liked a glass of yeah, port wine with a dinner. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's very common sense and basic. It's just that as long as you don't eat between meals and you don't eat junk food and you have enough vegetables and food, then you c everything is good. You know, there's uh, bread is good, chocolate is good, wine is good. Mm -hmm. So why deprive yourself of some of the greatest pleasures? Listen to this. Dave Barry, you know him? An American mm -hmm. uh, comic columnist or humorous columnist, very um, well-known and celebrated. Uh, he says, um, this is about escargot. <laughs> Nobody is sure how this got started. Probably a couple of French master chefs were standing around one day, and they found a small, uh, found a snail, crucial, uh, that I don't mistake that word. They found a snail, and one of them said, I bet that if we call this something like escargot, tourists would eat it. Uh, they then had a hearty laugh, because escargot is the French word for fat crawling bag of phlegm. <laughs> Rather crude. <laughs> uh, yet, the fact is that um, if you don't if you don't call Frenchmen froggy, with reference to their uh, to their eating um, frogs, you sometimes call them snail eaters. Yes. Yeah. Do you do you love snails? Do you love it. Oh, I escargot? love snails. Yeah. You know, and my mother. I've never uh, eaten one in my life. Really? You come to Bistro. Oh, yes. Yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've spent some time in my life in Paris. I'll bring you something. Next but time. I've just never been able to bring myself to eat a snail. Do you eat frogs? I've had a uh, frog. I've had, uh, uh -huh. um, in, but only in Paris, as a matter of fact. Well, you know, I have an interesting chapter in the book called The French Eat What? Yeah, and exactly. And it starts with the frogs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's a good way to prepare frogs' legs? Mm. Oh, man, there is a... I think, you know, that, like we talk about, uh, it's definitely the product by itself. It's important in French cooking. One thing I will add is we are fortunate in France to have almost like one great wine in each region. Then that mm -hmm. goes well with the food cooking from this region. If you go in 
Burgundy, Provence, uh, Loire Valley, Alsace, Bordeaux. You know, you always have those kind of uh, very good pairing and easy pairing for for them because they have the wine and the fruit. Uh, easy way to pre to to set up the foie gras for me, I like them just with a persillade, which means that uh, you uh, you can either way uh, dip them a little bit in uh, in flour, and then you're going to saute in butter, of course, and you just add some uh, chopped parsley, chopped garlic, seasoning with salt and pepper, and a little bit of lemon juice. For for me. As simple as that. I don't know what you think, that, Mireille, You know, that's interesting it, because there's there are hundreds of different variations. It, and, it is, but and I've eaten that one. But my mother used to prepare them without the flour, just a little bit of uh, mm -hmm. oil and butter and garlic and lots of persil, pers parsley. And um, you know, the, to me, it's still the best place in the world today to eat uh, frog legs is a restaurant in Strasbourg called Burehinzu. And it's just, when you go there, you just want, don't want to leave the table, you know. <laughs> I must indulge myself personally. Um, I, there was a wonderful restaurant I ate in in Strasbourg many years ago called L'Ancien Douanier. Mm. Uh, I, it, you, you've never heard of it, so it probably no, no longer exists. This was a good 30 years ago when uh -huh. uh, I dined there. It was right on the river. Mm. You could look across mm -hmm. to the other side. You know, just to talk about the frog legs, it's funny because uh, I have a four-year-old daughter, and this year for Christmas Eve, she wants to eat frog legs. Then she mm -hmm. asked me to cook frog legs for Christmas Eve, which I will do, of course. Why not? <laughs> four years old, you know I mean? <laughs> now then, we are about to do some commercials. I just checked out what I suspected after I um, began reading the new book by Nere Giuliano. Uh, since I've learned that you are the executive head, or have been for some years, of Veuve Clicquot, the champagne company in this mm -hmm. country. And I remember wonderful Veuve Clicquot ads that I used to hear <laughs> in a charming French female voice. And I, when I read that you were the head of that company, it occurred to me that might have been your voice, and it was. It was, yes. We're, we're going to give you some other choice commercials right now. <laughs> but not as good as those as I remember them. But we do pause for these words and then directly back to Mireille Giuliano and Dominique Tugne. Alors Dominique, qu'est-ce que a beautiful song. No, rien de rien. It's uh, Edith Piaf, of course. Edith and Piaf singing. No, rien de rien. I think that should be the, the French national anthem. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> she sings, I regret nothing. Yeah, she doesn't. We're going to hear regrets. more of it. Here, we bring it up again. J'ai allumé le feu, mes chagrins, mes plaisirs. Je n'ai plus besoin de balayer les amours. Avec leur trémolo, balayé pour toujours, je repars à zéro.
<laughs> what did you say? It makes you want to dance. It makes you want to dance. <laughs> yes. Or cry. Yeah, or cry. Yeah. That's true. But you know that uh, she talks about the pleasure, les plaisirs, which is yeah. a key word yeah. in French lifestyle. She was a great Parisian figure. Yeah. Incredible, yeah. Incredible. I think she was an international figure, you know. Yeah. She I think this song was a uh, uh, actually a song by uh, Charles Dumont, which is an other very well-known uh, singer, mm -hmm. and he wrote this song and uh, for for her, and that was this huge success. I mean, it's uh, really incredible. She's, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, she held forth in the cafes of Paris for all of her life, I think, just about. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, she was so she she was really somebody different. I think it was, you know, this uh, all war situation. She was mm -hmm. the, the voice of all those people who had nothing to to leave and starting a, a new life and uh, mm -hmm. uh, indirectly that's literally what she's talking about also in the in the song now let us get back to food serious conversation about food because um your first book uh french women don't get fat and the current book french women for all seasons presents many recipes and much interesting commentary writing good writing about food is fascinating writing i've always enjoyed it and so I've enjoyed both of your books. I'm still reading this one. I did read the other one, um, though I'm not a French woman, and, uh, <laughs> and I am a little, perhaps I'm a little portly. It's okay. But I have a lot of uh, men who read the book and, oh, and yeah. write me. And reading uh, about food is yes, is, is not sex limited. To be no. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, the big secret that you convey in that first book, and you repeat it here, is you can have all this great food and enjoy it, but don't eat between meals. And at meals, eat about half of what they serve you. Yes, the fifty percent solution, you know. Fifty percent. <laughs> because today uh, we we d we don't have jobs where we need to eat six thousand calories to survive. Many of us we we sit and we have sedentary lives. But if you if if you came to Dominique's restaurant, and he gave you, what would you give her to please you? Well, after I read the book, Problems. I would give her <laughs> half plate. Okay. <laughs> it would, it no, would be no, no, but I think uh, uh, sh she can have, of course, whatever she, she will enjoy. And I think uh, today on the way, we I will look at the thing. I respect whatever decision from all my customers. And, yeah, you know, if Mirai decides to eat half of the onion soup, if she want to eat, uh, you know, I know she likes half banana for dessert. Then, of course, <laughs> I will have that for her. But you wouldn't be offended <laughs> if she, she sent half the, half the plate back. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I should think some restaurateur would be a little bit. Uh, yes, but uh, but today you know we're lucky because in restaurants it's not like the old days where you had to have you mm -hmm. know four courses and a bottle mm -hmm. of wine. You have wine by the glass. You can order two appetizers. You can share dessert with with your spouse or your friend or at a table. True. I mean, there's that flexibility because people realize that, you know, you don't need much to be satisfied. And when you have good food, like what you eat at his restaurant, you know, it's all in the first few bites. And if you sit and you talk, you, you do what we, we talk about, you know, sitting at the table. It's more than just eating and drinking. It's conviviality, sharing, laughing, relaxing. Then you eat slowly and you eat less. And people understood. Mm. I think that's a lesson that was so... Um, to me, uh, most rewarding about meeting women, you know, six months after the first book, French Woman Don't Get Fat, was out, and people coming to me and said, you know, I got it. 
it's it's not a diet it's a lifestyle change and you can't really eat everything but you learn how to eat in moderation you do make a very interesting point which I, which rings true once i uh, think about it that in fact most of the pleasure you get from some good food is in the first few bites absolutely that's when yeah. the flavor really hits you mm -hmm. after that it tends to diminish a bit, yes. doesn't it? Yes, you taste but said, okay, ça yeah. va, ça suffit, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, move yeah. on. Uh, <laughs> voilà. Voilà. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually, that, that is explicable in terms of elementary sensory psychology. Yes. Um, that is to say, one speaks of um, sensory adaptation. That's the mm -hmm. technical term. Mm -hmm. It just means that whatever the sensory organ is and whatever the rest of the neural equipment is that uh, is connected to the sensory organ and that ultimately reaches the, the, the brain's pleasure centers, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, it um, uh, the first encounter <coughs> produces the strongest effect, and after a while, your threshold level, in fact, goes up. So yeah. you need better or more intense flavor of the same sort to give you the same response or the same subjective experience by the fifth bite as compared to the first bite. Mm -hmm. But it's ironic, you know. Here we are in Chicago, and in the second book, one of our the page I, I, I tend to read uh, when I give lecture is what I call my Oprah story. Mm -hmm. And it was describing people eating, you know, at the airport at 10 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you said, you know, it's if you don't need eat with your senses mm -hmm. and if you don't eat with pleasure and if you don't eat relaxed, you eat like mindlessly, you eat on autopilot sure. and then it does, you know, you could eat tons of food. It How doesn't make any difference. What makes that your Oprah story? Because I, I came here to be on a show, yeah. and when I went back uh, to New York, I took a 10 o'clock, 10, 10 in the morning flight back, and I was watching all these people at the airport eating, you know, pizza, hamburger, and, and multitasking on their computer, on their cell phone. And I was like, you know, it's the first time I, I really, and I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, an American too, and I live here, and I'm, I have both nationalities. and. I wasn't that aware that it was so bad and it was so, uh, there were so many people desperate because they just eat so mindlessly. But you tell the story in your first book and you do repeat it here as well, I think, that uh, when you first came here as a student, you were up in the Boston area, yes. weren't you? You, in fact, did get heavier. Oh, yes. And when you went back to France, you were rather embarrassed by your being slightly tubby. Well, more than that. I mean, my father's most, you know, was a great insult to me, but he was yeah. right. I look like a sack of potatoes because I'm small. So, <laughs> you know, 25 pounds, if you are uh, seven feet high, uh -huh. that's not bad. But five, three is like that four. You put on 25 whole pounds. Yes. Yeah. That was not joie de vivre anymore. <laughs> no, no. But, but, you know, he had a point. And it's like, you know, Frenchmen uh, and, and French father like mm. their girls to look okay and I was not looking okay and I was not feeling okay. I was not bien dans ma peau. No, you weren't you know, which is beautiful in your skin or yes. comfortable in your skin. Comfortable, yeah. yes. And and that's what happened when you get off, you know, off the equilibrium mm -hmm. line. Uh, well, and somebody then set you right. Who was it who set you right? Actually, it was, you know, my mother was, I mean, obviously very aware and, and you know, you can't really tell your daughter how to do it. And she was smart enough to talk to our little family doctor who basically, uh, you know, didn't reinvent the wheel, but he put me back and reacquainted me to the way my mother brought me up. 
and that is, you know, no snacking and three meals a day. And by then I was a student in Paris and he told me, go to the market, buy leeks, you know, have the leek broth and eat a lot of vegetables. And within six months, uh, with no effort, I was back to normal. And after that, I swore that I would never be fat again. <laughs> um, leeks, you're very fond of leeks. I'm very. Sure. Yeah. So, so are French people, yeah. you know. Yeah. Any bistro in Paris has a poireau vinaigrette. And uh, I have many recipes, about six recipes. But strangely, leeks. the leek is the national vegetable of Wales, or the national yes, symbol of yes, Wales. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I don't quite get the connection, but we will pursue <laughs> that and related issues after we pause for an update on the news. There we have the great Charles Aznavour. Yes. Um, you know that song, don't you? Yes, of course. What is he, what is he saying? Well, he talks about light. And it's, it's a very moving song, but also a very profound song. Like, like most of his songs, really. They have so much to say. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you listen to them. They always move you. He and Piaf, of course, oh, and yes. an old singer, Charles René, mm -hmm. are my favorite French troubadour, so to speak. You know Trenet as well? Oh, yeah, sure. Is he still listened to in France, I the recordings? I, I, w I want to believe that a lot of people still listen to Charles yeah. Trenet, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Goes way like back. Piaf and, uh, yeah. and Aznavour, yeah. yeah. Um, we've talked about food. Uh, the French, as we view them from the distance, are supposed to be very much involved in two things, food and love. <laughs> um, it goes together, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I suppose it does, but let me shift to love. One of the great French writers is... Madame de Stael, sure. yeah. she says, and as she's sort of writing in the, in the Napoleonic era, she's the daughter of uh, the great financier Necker, mm -hmm. as I remember it. She says, the desire of the man is for the woman, but the desire of the woman is for the desire of the man. You follow that? Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, buy are, huh? <laughs> I buy it. I buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Women are more interested in how men feel towards them than in the men themselves. Well, it's hard to say that. I want, you know, it's a beautiful uh, sentence. I think it's, uh, it's an it's, epigram. It's yeah. great. Um, Not necessarily true. Oh, I think things have changed. You know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Do styles change in, in love in France? Yeah, you know, food too, everything. <laughs> you know, Brassin said it well. I, I quote it in the book because when I talk about menu, and he said. Um, that his favorite menu was the flesh of her neck. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's the sensuality of... Uh, Who said that? Georges Brassens, another Brassens. troubadour. Yeah, right. You know. uh-huh. le, le menu que je préfère, c'est la, c'est la chair de votre cou. Uh-huh. You know. <laughs> that says it all. That's very interesting. <laughs> there are cross-national uh, connections. The leek <laughs> is very popular in France and in Wales. The back of the neck is considered the most significant erotic zone of the female in yes. Japan. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> doesn't seem quite credible, does it? <laughs> you know, yeah. no, I, I, you know, why not? I mean, that's something uh, mm-hmm. I can understand. I think it's a very uh, sensitive part, you know, of, uh, of yeah, the body. Yeah. Then, uh, you know, Japanese people see the things differently than we do. And yeah, why not? It may not be true. I read that someplace. Oh, I can't yeah. imagine it's the most significant erogenous area. But, but, it, but the Japanese take the back of the female neck more seriously than we do, apparently. But we we did not speak of uh, food and love separately. They of course are conjoined. Mm-hmm. The one tends to one brings out the other one way or another. Isn't that true? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's also the good wine who goes with the good food. Yeah. I help also <laughs> for the rest. Uh, no, you know I, I believe that. Uh, also, like you're never hungrier than after. Well, you know, it's always, you can always have a little bite after, you know. And exactly. <laughs> so, but uh, the thing I think that Mia say was uh, very important also, it's, uh, we consider food differently. It's really a moment of, uh, uh, of exchange. It's a moment of uh, conviviality. It's a moment of, uh, uh, to a certain point, even very intimate, you know. It's, uh, yeah. it's something that uh, you can just be two person or you can be an entire family which i don't believe that you will necessarily end the evening the same way but it's uh, it's all about exchange it's a, it's a private moment and uh, and yes i can definitely see that a good meal can bring to uh, uh, you know to have a, a good relationship after that that's for sure we are due for some commercials again you know i um, really want to get down to serious food right now the um, subtitle or well, part of the title of Marie's new book, French Women, the subtitle or semi-subtitle is For All Seasons. Uh, and you do organize this by the season. So now we are in winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, we might talk. I would invite the two of you to talk about how to eat in winter. What's good in winter? Yes. What's available in no winter? No tomatoes or strawberries. Well, <laughs> we, we shall go to that, the wisdom of, of winter, uh, of the winter kitchen. Sure. Directly after we pause for these <laughs> words. matin, le printemps est sorti de son lit pour aller faire la vie pour un cadre en bleu tout le gris qui traînait sur les murs de Paris du gris il y en avait dans ma vie mais ce jour-là mais ce jour-là d'un seul coup tout fut repeint en bleu Le ciel et les yeux des amoureux Du coup pour le pont neuf et la scène Ce fut l'heure pour eux d'entrer en scène Sur ce pont nous nous sommes croisés et Moi ce jour-là j'allais eu par milliers on savait où aller les chercher ils sont chauds les prés au mois de mai qu'ils 
What do you hear there? In those other it's songs? about, you know, it's a love song, but it's yeah. about, you know, gray and blue and going from down to up and find it through love because meeting on a Pont Paris, you know, is very yeah. romantic and it's very sensual. Rather reminds me of the American blues tune, Been Down So Long, It Feels Like Up to Me. Yes. you <laughs> <laughs> the feeling, yes. Yes, that's isn't it? Uh -huh. Especially the same. Um, so let us go to um, uh, to Rive, to winter food. What are we, what's typical of, of winter food? What's important? For me, winter food means, first of all, the product from the season. She, uh, me, I just said earlier, like no tomato, no strawberries. You know, it's funny because um, I was just talking to a, a bunch of my uh, co-workers at Bistro, and uh, I, I asked them, I said, how come we have better berries in December in Chicago than we have in July, you know? and uh, well, in Chicago, most of the berries we have now come from South America or mm -hmm. Central America, mm -hmm. and we have beautiful products right now. Uh, but I completely understand, uh, Mireille, I think we should, and uh, it's difficult because of the demand of the customer in the restaurant business, but we should use the products that are available in function of the season. And right now, for me, winter means uh, stews, you know, this kind of slow mm -hmm. cooking, yeah. roasting, etc. Those, again, very convivial, family, simple food, you know, but uh, with a lot of flavor. And we were talking about uh, pot-au-feu and cassoulet, uh, choucroute, I mean, all those different regions of France where uh, These are all th those are all stick to your ribs sorts of dishes, yeah, aren't they? Not, not comfort necessarily. Food comfort food, yes. Comfort food, it's yeah. comfort food, but I don't think so. You know, a pot au feu, it's a, it's a healthy dish. You know, yes. again, it's yeah. a, like Mira said before, it depends if you eat five pounds of it or if you eat mm -hmm. what you need. Explain you know? what pot au feu is. It's one of my favorite dishes. But well, pot au feu, it's uh, usually is made with uh, uh, short rib, plat coat, mm -hmm. and uh, you can put a little bit of uh, oxtail in and it. Typically, you boil it, don't you? And you boil it. I mean, yeah. that's what it is you you have all the seasoning etc but you cook it in a boiled beef slow yeah. cooking yeah. very slow cooking and what comes along with it oh you have uh, of course the, the vegetable mm. leeks <laughs> you need leeks, yes, <laughs> <laughs> you need leeks. Uh, ca carrots and you have all the bouquet garni we call which is mm -hmm. all the aroma aromas from the are, are turnips essential as well turnips and are potato of course. dish well potatoes it's always an argument some people say oh, yes? you should not have potatoes in a pot au feu some people say well you have to have potatoes that's why i didn't mention them earlier oh i'm in the potatoes um, club i do too yeah. okay but some people may not want necessarily uh, but you also have the bone marrow you know who goes with it Mm -hmm. the, the the kosher salt or the sea salt on it and a little bit of uh, pomery mustard sauce or mm -hmm. Dijon mustard you know uh, goes with it it sounds great but you're not doing it this month no I'm not I'm not running it right now but you're uh, doing that's it. that's something we do actually in the restaurant occasionally as a special yes yeah yeah well when when can I come and get some Come in January. In January. <laughs> at Bistro 110. <laughs> we haven't said what Bistro 110 is. It's on Pearson. Yes. Just off the Michigan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just the corner yeah. of Pearson, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what would you, if we were coming to your apartment in Greenwich Village yes. uh, <laughs> tomorrow, when? Right? Mm -hmm. Dominique would be happy to come, I'm sure. <laughs> I would be delighted. And you were at home and were giving us dinner. What would you get, What would you serve us? Well, I have to say, you know, being a French woman, uh, when it gets cold, there's nothing better than soups. Mm -hmm. And too often I meet 
women who said, you know, I don't have the time to cook for my children. And I said, well, you have a responsibility and you don't need three hours. You know, uh, for example, this morning on the TV show, we did the butter squash soup. You need three ingredients, a squash, potato, onion. You cook it for 30 minutes and you put it through the mill. You add a little butter, some ginger, uh, some nutmeg, sorry, and some parsley. And you have a wonderful soup and you can make a big pot and freeze it and have another meal two days from now, uh, soups are filling, they're nutritious, uh, they're comfort food, and you know, you can have a meal, you need a piece yes. of bread, a piece of cheese, a salad, and a food, and you have dinner. The same way you mentioned before, that it's a time to eat apples and pears and citrus food, and you can do all kinds of things, from pie to just compote to just baked apple or, or, or pears. And it's, it's, you know, you have to eat what's in the season. I really yeah. believe it's important. And also you need the variety and the diversity of it all instead of all, always eating the same thing. You know, I love berries too, but there's a time, you know, there's a season and a time for every everything. I cannot agree more. For me, there is also one thing. It's uh, dry uh, beans, like lentils, mm. you know. Oh, and, yes. uh, I mean, all of, all of those things which are very healthy, very good for mm. you and soups or as a garnish for for a dish i mean it's great you know and uh, we have uh, some uh, we call the green lentils from le puy mm. in oh, france those little delicious. green lentils they are fantastic and uh, that's something for me winter that's what it's about sounds wonderful <laughs> all and all the vegetables you have yeah. you know, yeah. turnip parsnip celeriac the leeks uh, uh cabbages they're wonderful i'm ready <laughs> <laughs> makes me hungry <laughs> but uh, we are going to pause again for a set of commercials, and we return to Dominique Tunia and Mireille Giuliano. Dominique is the executive chef at Bistro 110, where he has served in that capacity since 1996, when he came over from Paris, where he worked with some of the great chefs of the Western world, uh, at Le Relais du Parc, and at the Chateau des Renates in What's in the what town? What town is that? <laughs> Chateau de Rennes is in Chancelade. Chancelade, it's a small village near Perigueux in the south of France, yeah, southwest. Yeah. Called uh, Chateau de Rennes. The, the term of Rennes comes from uh, Rennes because apparently the story says that Rennes the Queen of England would have stopped in this chateau, you know, at uh -huh. some time. But I don't know if it's true. I was not there by, uh, when she stopped. <laughs> <by>. <laughs> That's uh, Rennes in um, what, what, what province is that? Uh, it's Dordogne, Périgord, Dordogne. yes. Yeah. Uh, Périgord, yes. Yeah. Now then, uh, and Marie, uh, Mireille Giuliano, of course, is the author of the new book, French Women for All Seasons. I made mention earlier of the fact that you are the uh, the head of Veuve Clicquot Champagne in this country. Mm -hmm. um, and you used to do commercials for them, which I heard <laughs> long before I met you. And Especially for you, we have this lovely song as sung by Leslie Caron. It'll be marvelous fun. And tomorrow will we get it? Can I watch you play roulette? May I stay up late for supper? Is it awfully, awfully, awfully? You'll drive us wild. Stop, you silly child. Is everybody celebrated, full of sin and dissipated? Is it hot enough to blister? Will I be your little sister? Gigi, you are absurd. Now, not another word. Let her gush and jabber. Let her be enthused. I cannot remember when I have been more amused. Oh. Stop it! Nicely invented champagne. It's 
plain as it can be, they thought of you and me the night they invented champagne. They absolutely knew that all we'd want to do is fly to the sky on champagne and shout to everyone in town that since the world began, no woman or man has ever been as happy as we are tonight. Night they invented champagne. It's plain as it can be. They, they thought, thought of you and me. The night they invented champagne. They absolutely knew that all we want to do is fly to the sky on champagne and shout to everyone in sight that since the world began, no woman or a man has ever been as happy as we are. Now here's some joie de vivre, right? Yeah, we <laughs> joie de vivre. Yes. What about champagne? I, I know you love champagne and you sold champagne for years and years and years. And I drink um, champagne. And you drink champagne? <laughs> it's you a magic it. wine. Do you drink it every day? Almost. Yeah? Yes, yeah, sometimes several times a day, but not a <laughs> tiny portion. Not for breakfast. It's actually not a bad time. You know? yeah. Your palate is clean. And, yes, that's uh, true. On Sunday morning around 11 o'clock is about the most uh -huh. perfect time for me. What do we know about how champagne works on us? It does seem to induce good feeling more than other modes of alcohol. Why is that? Yes, because uh, people don't realize that, but I always ask at lectures, you know, have you noticed when you go to a party mm. and they serve champagne and you feel bubbly and people say, oh, mm. yes, why? I don't know, is it the bubbles? Well, the bubbles are festive and all that, but that's not the reason. It's because champagne is the only wine that uh, contains uh, natural traces of lithium. Lithium? Yes. So no. it won't cure depression, but it will lift your spirit. And all you need is half a glass to just feel bubbly. Of course, you know, don't you? Uh, that was what you had in mind in the last sentence you uttered, that one of the first pharmacological treatments for depression was lithium. Yes. Yeah. So I said, you know, don't take your, leave your, your uh, medicine. drug medicine cabinet yeah. alone and you have half a glass of champagne. champagne. That's yeah. all you need. Yeah, that's better. How much uh, demand for champagne do you get? At uh, we we do have a lot of demand. I mean, uh, it's, it's always uh, a festive moment. It's when people mm. want to celebrate something. But even for a regular meal, you know, there is definitely a, a lot of demand from the customer for any kind of champagne. I know. I will not give the brand, but of course. Berthelicot <laughs> well, is, is one of the best known, <laughs> to be sure. Especially in Chicago. Because yeah, of the ads well that you did years ago? Yeah, in the jazz. You know, New Orleans and Chicago. Where ah. We've been in this country mm. since uh, 1786. And um, it started with Jelly Roll Morton and, and all these people, and the jazz people. What started with Jelly Roll Morton? Drinking champagne. The drinking champagne. Drinking yes. I didn't know that. Oh, I, I certainly yes. know the music of Jelly Roll Morton yeah. and, and love it. But he particularly was famous for his champagne uh -huh. habit, was he? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh -huh. uh, we are going to pause right now for a quick update on the news and then directly back to Mireille Giuliano and to Dominique Tunia. And we do return to Mireille Giuliano. We are drawing from, but hardly plumbing the full depth and the full joy of our new book, French Women for All Seasons. A year of secrets, recipes, and pleasure. Uh, and to Dominique Tunia, ex the executive chef at Bistro 
1-800-273-1110 here in Chicago. Our lines are open and available to you. We'll be on to the phones in just a moment or two. 591-7200 for any question you've got or any thought you've got or any memory you've got uh, relating to French cuisine and, more broadly, the French way of life. 591-7200. Let's just plunge a little bit more into seasonal cooking. So winter is over. Uh, comes spring. And uh, what then happens in the kitchen? What should happen in the kitchen? Peas. <laughs> Peas. Oh, yes. And uh, asparagus yeah. and, mm -hmm. you know... It's it's spring. It's just wonderful. I mean, you you sort of got tired of winter, and you need, you know, nature's back, yeah. and you just I go crazy yeah. in the spring. Yeah, I completely agree. All the light items from the garden, I will say, everything from your for your garden would be great. And I, it's almost for a French person, it's hard to say that, but the time to remove like butter and cream from your cooking and to replace it by olive oil you know i think and just simple food and start to use your grill outside and mm -hmm. doing some grillade and things like that that's that's the best yes you get away from heavy meats too don't you you go to chicken more i suppose you, you chicken I, I would even and go fish. to uh, yeah. but you know fish of course i mean that's a, that's also a, always a good choice but lamb you know for me would be uh, a great choice also yeah, for spring, spring. Yeah. with all the vegetable you know uh, a spring, a spring Navarin, you know, a Navarin printanier with all the little vegetables around. That's, well, that's I, wonderful. <laughs> I don't quite know. I think I've had it, but I don't know how you do it. Give us the recipe. How do you do that? Well, the, uh, again, it's a stew. It's um, mm -hmm. The best part to do a, a, a Navarin will be the shoulder of the animal because you have a good uh, mixture of the, the muscle and the fat. Again, it's, it's a good fat, okay? And uh, you're just going to sear this uh, this meat. It's called uh, uh, sauté. Then you're going to do after that what we call singe. Singe means that you add a little bit of flour on top of the meat uh, and you let it cook a little bit, which we call torréfier. Like that, you have the flour basically who, uh, who just going to grow and you're not going to have the flavor. And then you have what we call mouillé, which is adding the liquid, a little bit of tomato paste, and cooking it very, very slowly. And of course, all the, the, the vegetables, carrots, onions, uh, garniture, aromatic, all yeah. of that. Yes, <laughs> traditional. And all the little spring vegetables. We were talking earlier when off mic about uh, some other restaurants in town here. And I mentioned Kiki's Bistro. And they do a, it's a standard item on their menu, lamb navarin. Sure. And it's very nice. I, I often have it there. <laughs> but I can come get it at your place, too. I love Kiki. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, who are the great French restaurateurs around town? All of them. I have a lot of friends. <laughs> no, but you know, I think, no, seriously, I, I'm very uh, happy in Chicago since I'm here. There is, I, I work in Paris for almost 10, 12 years before I came in, uh, in Chicago. One of the big difference and a good surprise for me is that because everybody in this um, in this industry, which is usually well known to be a tough industry, in Chicago, everybody's very friend to each other. And uh, I enjoy really a lot of different uh, French, American, Asian uh, chefs around mm -hmm. the city. And uh, But behind the fact that they are all, most of them very great cooks, they are most of them very good people. And, uh, you know, it's often that we... Uh, we share, we share employees, we share ideas, we, uh, if somebody needs, uh, I know it sounds incredible, but uh, you, you're kind of short on a Sunday with eggs and you need something, you call a, a friend in a different place and they, they're going to give, you, give it to you if you need it. And I never really find that in, uh, in Paris and I love that in Chicago. And of course I do it every time I have the opportunity. And, uh, don't, not everybody to call me on a Sunday, guys, because I will be in trouble, but we help each other a lot, yes. 
Well, is it possible that the French are a little bit ungiving or a little bit suspicious um, in their relations with one another? They're very individualistic, yeah. you know. The uh, Francais, we call them individualist invétéré. You know, they're born and, and they're very, uh, in, in the way they dress, in the way they deal, in the way they address <laughs> each other. And it, it's a different approach. I'm, I'm, I'm like Dominique, you know, I love the the friendliness in the U.S., the the supportive uh, aspect, the the you know always trying to help, mm. or always that's that's very. You wonderful. don't you don't find that in France the same way. It's it's different. And I I believe that uh, it's just um, because most of us come from you know a different part of the world, and we are here in this little community. But you know another thing was for me uh, like a little. Um, revelation is that everywhere you go you have always uh, the you know the chinese quartet you have the italian you have the uh, um, japanese or whatever you never find beside of new orleans which was an exception as as far as i know but a french quartet the, the french people don't try to be near to each other and uh, and mm -hmm. there is no place like that you know where you are a street where that's also french it doesn't exist i mean uh, as far as i know and it's interesting. It's a very interesting observation. I think you're right. Every everybody else, you see them together, not the French people. Why I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps Mireille knows. Why? <laughs> no, I think it's part of the culture. You yeah. know, we don't. It's not that that French people are mean or don't like to be together. Mm -hmm. It's just that kind of, um, you know, ingrained uh, culture of doing your own thing and not not looking for support and not thinking about the fact that you can get it. Je suis pas français, je suis moi-même. I am myself. <laughs> Nationality comes later as an afterthought, is that it? Yes, yes, yeah. it is. I think, there's something no, but I think that. also that's because there is this, uh, this sentiment of um, competition and if you find something, the first one, you want to have the credit of it, you know, then no. I believe it's, uh, it's probably true in the culinary uh, aspect, but in any kind of industry, you know, and uh, you want to try to keep the, the prior of it as long as you can and, you know. So we are now involved in speculations about French character, <laughs> French culture and personality, well, so you know, goes with as, food. as well as French cuisine. And we welcome your questions and, for that matter, your thoughts and comments, including your stories about your own adventures and misadventures in France, if you are so inclined. <laughs> Il fait si froid dehors Ici c'est confortable Laissez-vous faire, Milor Et prenez bien vos aises Vos peines sur mon cœur Et vos pieds sur une chaise Je vous connais, Milor Vous ne m'avez jamais vu Je ne suis qu'une fille du port Une ombre de la rue Pourtant je vous ai frôlé quand vous passiez hier, vous n'étiez pas peupière d'âme, le ciel vous comblait, votre foulard de soie flottant sur vos épaules, vous aviez le beau rôle, on aurait dit le roi, vous marchiez en vainqueur au bras d'une demoiselle, mon Dieu, qu'elle était belle. J'en ai froid dans le cœur. Allez, venez, Milor, vous asseoir à ma 
table, il le fait si pour Ici, c'est confortable, laissez-vous faire, Milor, et prenez bien vos aides, vos peines sur mon cœur. More Piaf in the night. Well, that's, of course, one of her classic <laughs> songs, Milor, oh. as she would say. Those rolled, rolled R's of hers. Just, is that distinctive to Parisian nightclub performance or to Parisian argot? Uh, the you know, jamais froid, she says. I, I think it's it's maybe old-fashioned. I don't think people speak like that anymore. No, they don't. You know, really, it, yeah. it used to be. Uh, I guess it was just to to have more power on their words. I well, guess. Well, the placement of the R in French speech is an interesting thing. Uh, ordinarily. Uh, you are using the accent of uh, les grandes écoles, you would put your R back in the palate, mm -hmm. rather than sure. she does. Is sure. that right? Yes. Yeah. Explain what that song is about. It's it's a very, it's about seduction and, and flirtation, yeah. but you know, she's a poor girl and she's admired this guy who is very sophisticated. He's an Englishman. He's an Englishman. He's that, that she lord. calls him yes. my lord, Milo. my lord. And uh, she's seen him, you know, she admired him, but that she's also saw him with a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. And there is, uh, on one side, uh, the admiration, but on the other side, I think she she's in love with him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but she almost, I think, also she knows that she probably cannot have him. But, no. you know, one thing which is interesting is that she invited him to sit with her at the right. table. Then right. one more time, we come back to the food aspect and the conviviality <laughs> is just, let's sit down now, you know? No, no love without food, apparently. Let's have a drink yeah. or food or something to drink. <laughs> we go to the phones, my friends. 591-7200, if you want to join us, we've got some room available to move quickly and you will quite likely get through. 591-7200, you are the first. Good evening. Good evening. Um, I, um, my mother, um, um, would always speak about um, cooking a cooking method where the you uh, cook with this pot and the fire is on the bottom and on the top. How do you get fire? They on were them? born in the well. You have to have a certain kind of a pot in, in a fireplace. I, I think there's charcoal on top on the cover, and it's in a fireplace. I've seen it on um, some great chefs. Uh, well, this was a French chef. In uh, it was outside in uh, sort of like a cave outdoor. I think you puzzled Dominique, or do you do you know what that is? Well, the, the one thing I mean, the one thing crossed my mind is uh, more for me uh, what we know, and there is a lot of in Alsace. It's uh, it's cast iron, you know, where you yeah. have those kind of okay. Well, I don't know if it's cast iron. Well, I mean that's that for me would be the. The logical and use of a proper. pot like that to put on a fire, yeah. and the good thing about those cast iron pots, on the way they used to be fireplace. It's yes, you, I mean you can burn directly on the fire on a stove or whatever. But the good thing when you talk about charcoal, who goes on top? I know some lead who goes on top of those um, uh, cast iron pots have some kind of. Uh, a shape that allow you either way to put water on it or to put some another heat source, which can be the the charcoal you're talking about. You know, speaking about old times, my parents were born in the 1800s. I'm Italian and French, and uh, the other uh, one is um, my mother would use rose water all a lot, and I don't remember how she used it. And uh, also, my father would put uh, on a griddle. He would put uh, salt and then put 
the meat on top, steak, and we cook it. Okay. Uh, that, and then this uh, one fellow from Finland, he had said, oh, he said, that's the old old way of cooking. You recognize that way of cooking? Yeah, you can cook differently on uh, on salt. I mean, that's a technique that we mm -hmm. still use today. Uh, you know, you still have a, a chicken cooked in a crust of salt, or even I uh, I do sometimes in the restaurant some snapper or old mm -hmm. fish. Uh, it's uh, either way you can put the, the salts on the base to cook on top of it, or you can directly cover the entire chicken with salt, and it will not be over salty, which is interesting. And on to another caller. Hello, you're on the air. Oh, uh, no. My name is Warren Fremling. I have a doctorate in music and 36 years of teaching voice. I, I, I couldn't help be, but be caught in, uh, in Edith Piaf singing. She wasn't trilling her R's with her tongue. She was using her uvula. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, Roy Orbison did it. Charles Aznavour could do it. And, of course, he took over from her. I think he was even a protege of hers, was he not? Yes, he was, for, I think, yeah. Yeah. Can you do it? I uh, know. It requires a long one. <laughs> Along with your eyes. It's very difficult to do, but that's, it's one of the amazing things that she could do with her singing uh -huh. that very few singers can do. And, you know, when you said it, she was trilling it up front. Obviously, I've sung, I've sung French for years and years and years, the art songs and so on. But um, I, I've always had to trill the arts with, with my tongue, yeah. much the way you would in Italian. But she... Um, She's, she's kind of a phenom along those lines. It's just, it's pure uvula, and I have no idea how she does it. Fascinating. It's one of the most amazing, fascinating noises yeah. I can ever imagine. Well, it's, then it's an anatomical anomaly that made it possible. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you very much. You're very welcome. Glad to have that clarified. 591-7200, the number. And if you want to join to uh, talk about French food, talk about French culture, talk about... Uh, the way things are changing in France at the moment, uh, do by all means give us a call, 591-7200. If you want to reach us by email, that's extension720 at tribune.com. And let me read you this email. Again, it uh, relates to cuisine. Along with tasting better, my mother swears that the stock made with soup bones increases calcium content. I know that making vegetable meat and fish stocks myself allows me to control the salt and reduces kitchen waste. I can't argue with my mom on any of these points, but is there any evidence that making one's own stock with soup bones or the post-Thanksgiving turkey carcass increases the level of calcium? Puzzlement among the chefs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mireille. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's probably, it's always better to make your own stock, but I don't know how much of the calcium... No, I mean, that's how much of the, the calcium is going to transfer from the bone to the liquid. I mean, we talk about, you know, cooking like that is basically what we call in uh, osmose. You know, when you have an exchange between the solid and the liquid. Now, are the uh, elements such as calcium are really getting transferred to the liquid? And that's going to, uh, to go in your system. I think uh, we should have a, a doctor to answer that. But uh, I... Why not? I in, mean, in a serious restaurant, you keep stock going all the time, don't you? Oh, yeah, we, we do our stock. I mean, that's uh, something that uh, it's an uh, ongoing process, yes. And what are the uses of stock? If you, w when do you use it and how? 
everywhere. I mean, on all the sauces we can make, it's basically it's a base of uh, to to uh, give the flavor. Mm -hmm. You can do a lamb stock if you need to uh, make a lamb sauce, etc. You know, and uh, and then if you reduce your stock up to uh, what we call a demi glass or a glass de viande, it's uh, extreme reduction where you evaporate most of the water and you keep all the the flavor from the the bones or the vegetables or whatever you're cooking. <laughs> You know, one thing we barely talked about tonight, though it's very important in uh, French dining, and it's very important, it's, it's featured in the new book by Mireille Giuliano, French Women for All Seasons, is, of course, wine. Um, mm -hmm. you're the don't overdo it and stop when you're ahead and half is enough of, of a line of yours dictates that when it comes to wine, you don't drink more than a glass or at the most two. Yes, and that's the reason I call this chapter Wine is Food, because, you know, um, for us, wine is like a piece of bread or a piece of fruit. It has um, calories, it has nutrients, and we know now that it's also a great antioxidant. And you don't need to drink a whole bottle, you know, a glass is enough. And is actually, if you drink too much, <laughs> the good effects go away. So, Is it uh, an effective antioxidant, and is that true for all wine or only for red? All wines, but particularly red. Yeah. But all wines are good, and all wines have antioxidant, white and champagne and red. So you can argue if you're drinking, if you're a wine bibbler, well, it's good for your heart. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it I, it proves so because what you see in France, we don't we don't have that that amount of people who have uh, these conditions. So it's it's clearly something that's part mm. of our daily. You know, um, is there consumption. Any is there any disease that French, that French do have in excess? French men used to be very obsessed about their livers. <laughs> yeah, probably because of the excess of wine. But you know, when you say <laughs> it is good for your heart, uh, it all depends how. I mean, do, do you yeah. mean good for your heart healthy or for love? I think it's good for both. You know, I, I'm like Mireille. I think it's. Uh, um, Personally, I prefer to have one glass of a good wine than a bottle of a bad wine. Sure. Then, uh, I prefer to drink with moderation, for sure, and uh, one, one glass is probably enough for me. Do the two of you, as experienced uh, French eaters as well as French cooks, do you take the, um, the rule about uh, red with meat, uh, white with uh, seafood, seriously? I Not do. at all. I actually, don't. Actually, tonight I had a piece of salmon with a glass of Pinot Noir. You know, you. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, that's why this chapter is kind of a wine 101, and it came from my, my, my readers and my, the people I meet. And um, I noticed that there's so many, especially women who are um, businesswomen who have to entertain and go to restaurants, and they are totally intimidated. And I wanted to minimize the intimidation factor and maximize the pleasure factor because, um, yes, of course, you know, I've been in the wine business for 25 years, and the more you know, the less you know because it's such a huge um, area. But you actually don't need much to be comfortable ordering a wine or choosing a wine, and uh, it brings so much pleasure to the table, to your friends. So you shouldn't feel like you need to to know it like you know it's a Bible. I agree. You need a few things. But who set the rule that uh, well, I only white wines with? Uh, no, I, I believe that it, it used to be probably a, an easier way for trying to have the people to find a 
universal test when you say, okay, you know what, maybe with a, a certain meat, you gotta have this kind of heavy wine, etc. I think it was educational and helping people at first when they didn't know necessarily much about wine. I think today people are more and more educated. And for me, the way I look at it is I, I don't believe in that anymore. And I think that uh, first, the, the first thing I say is a good wine is the one you like. You Would know? you ever That's drink a rosé with anything? You know, yes, eventually, yes, uh, definitely a rosé de Provence, you know, in yeah. summertime with some some fish, you know, and uh, yeah, absolutely, oh. I have no problem with that, yes. I you got to be careful with rosé. Push <laughs> your head. It's strong. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, a trap. <laughs> and I've got to be careful with uh, time schedules. We're about due for a quick update on the news. Spell you cast. This is la vie en rose. When you kiss me, heaven sighs. And though I close my eyes, I see la vie en rose. When you press me to your heart, I'm in a world apart. A world where roses bloom, and when you speak, angels sing from above. Everyday words seem to turn into love songs. Give your heart and soul to me, and life will always be love and rose. I thought that love was just a word They sang about in songs I heard It took you kisses to Well, there's a rarity. That's Piaf in English. <laughs> yeah. Um, you saw how the outcome, the rose and the rose. Well, rather than <laughs> rose, yeah, yeah, right. And Berea said it's not the same in English. <laughs> no, not it's quite. It's true, yeah. Um, Five nine one seven two double zero is the number. As we go back to the phones, good evening. You're on the air. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Rosenberg. First, I just want to say I love your show. I learn something new every time I listen. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, and I was wondering, I'm studying at Northern Illinois University. Um, I'm part of a program called the Foreign Language Residence Program here. Mm -hmm. And we often uh, discuss in the French group uh, the Anglification of the French language and mm -hmm. uh, the opposition of l'Académie Française uh, to <laughs> expressions like uh, le weekend. Uh, <laughs> and I was just wondering uh, if your guests had any thoughts on uh, the anglification of the French language. Um, I, I imagine it's an impossible um, task that they've set for themselves. The, the Academy does do that. <laughs> they rule on what words are permissible in French. They let a few words in every year, I think. But they are very much against the anglification, as you call it, or anglicization. Anglicanization, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's unavoidable, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, you know, it's it's no matter what they say, even if they mm. call les immortels. I mean, uh, it's like um, it's a sign of the times, and yeah. there are a few words that you know speak for themselves. And 
Yeah, and I think mm. things are going fast today, you know, with the uh, internet and all those new uh, media possibility for the young people. And uh, I think it, it's it's another sign of the what we call the globalization, I believe, you know, and uh, all those terms and computers and all that. It's something you have to uh, to deal with it. Yeah. Lots of uh, thank you, sir, for the call. Or let me put to you another question. What other languages are spoken in France apart from French? Do you know? Um. I, I can't think off the top of my head. Uh, well, there's a part of France that speaks Gaelic. Did you know that? I was not aware of that. The Brittany Peninsula, at least, uh, far out on the peninsula, and mm -hmm. older folks. Um, and um, the Provençal. Provençal yeah. is yeah. Uh, Roman. And the Alsacien. And the Basque. Yes. The Basque the is Basque. even the most interesting, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Where did we have the Basque in, print, uh, in France? Southwest of France, Biarritz, yeah. Bayonne. Uh, Just on the. All uh, the Pays Basque. Yeah. It's yeah. Which is a very interesting mm. dialect or whatever you want to call it. It's uh, have no roots, no origin, like any anything else. It's interesting. Uh, thank you, sir, for the call. Oh, uh, thank you. you. You've got a place. Uh, I think I read Mireille in Provence as well. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. What is Provençal like? It's a Romance language. Yes. For example, my name Mireille in Provençal is Mireille. Mireille. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a lot of ending. You know, it's the Latin base mm. and uh, Italian and. Um, the 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 road where we have a house is called Chemin des Jaillis, and in Provençal is Jaisso. Um, and it's a very beautiful and singing language. You know, even even some people say nicer than than the basic French. Mm -hmm. um, there are those songs of the Auvergne. Mm. Is that in Provençal? Auvergne? No, that's the center of France. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's another dialect down there as well. Which, oh, that's oh, uh, there's so many. Which, which I stresses mean, those endings yeah. in the same way. Five nine one seven two double zero is the number, and we've got room on the board if you've been trying to reach us. Do make another quick try for any question you've got about things French, cuisine, love, uh, architecture. <laughs> we haven't talked about <laughs> Le Corbusier at all, have we? Uh, or for that matter, social problems. Uh, five nine one seven of the French variety, that is, which has to do more than anything else with the great influx of um, uh, of immigrants from the Arab world and the new difficulties developing in the banlieue around some of the great cities. Five nine one seven two double zero, the number. We return after this. La vie, c'est l'amour, et l'amour, c'est la vie. We have a bad reputation, right? All we talk about is food, life, love. She says life is love and love is life. Yes. True enough, I'm sure. Five nine one seven two double zero. Back to the phones. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, I just wanted to put a warning out there to poor, unsuspecting American girls. Ten years ago, a Frenchman cooked a wonderful meal for me. A passionate, 
sensuous meal for me. And here I am. I've come to my senses, and I've married him, and I have two children. Uh huh. Does he still cook for you? No, not really. Some not like that first dinner. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you should be in bed by now. <laughs> Hi, sweetheart. <laughs> oh, surprise! I didn't realize. Oh, yes, that's wonderful. Uh, well, what's the food like at home? Well, the food is not as good as that night because I'm the one who's generally cooking because he's uh -huh. cooking at the restaurant. But I still picked up a few, uh, some very good tips, not only from him, but from my, my mother-in-law. Uh -huh. Spending time uh, on our vacations in France has been just great for, for my understanding of how, uh, how to cook better and um, more interesting foods. And, of course, in season, it's a, a completely different experience going to the market uh, on market days in, in France, um, where where Dominique's family lives. It's every Wednesday and Saturday morning. And that experience compared to going to the Jewel down the street is, you know, two worlds <laughs> apart. It's, uh, it's really nice to go and see things coming mm -hmm. fresh from the farm and not only produce but live poultry <laughs> and all sorts of this uh, lots of different cheeses and flowers and all Black that truffles. stuff. Black truffles. Black <laughs> $2,000 worth in one trip. <laughs> that was interesting. Uh, but, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to see that all these different, uh, these different aspects of life come together in one place, and it's a wonderful energy and excitement about going and seeing what's there. It's a now, you, you've got two kids at the Tunia household, is that right? We have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are they bilingual? They are. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. Are they young enough? Are they old enough, rather, to be going to school? Uh, our our older one is in first grade, and our, our younger one's in preschool. So you sent them to what, to the French school in town? Uh, actually, Bien sûr, monsieur. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's great. Well, well, what we did, basically, is me being a, speaking French better than English, you can hear that I... Uh, I just speak with my kids in French, and my wife speaks only in English. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, you know, we have a six years old, which is completely bilingual, and uh, four years old the same. And trust me, they love food. They eat everything, like uh, broccolis, any kind uh -huh. of green beans and That's soups wonderful. and everything. <laughs> well, I'm delighted, Madame Tournier, for your your call. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs> well, lovely. Uh, I want to read you an email from a listener in uh, the New York City area, uh, who is an academic. I, he's corresponded before. He says, um, do your guests think uh, that France will be able to maintain what makes its diet distinctive and distinctively healthy? The French town where I do my academic research, Soissons, which is just to the north of both Brie and Champagne, now has a McDonald's and a Buffalo Grill <laughs> on its outskirts. When I first started working there in the early 90s, Soissons still had a couple of old-fashioned one-star restaurants where one could get a pot au feu or whatever it was for dinner. They've closed now to be replaced by pizza joints, kebab houses, or you could eat Chinese buffet and yeah. mediocre cafe. Uh, the supermarkets are changing too. The Monoprix in Soissons now sells pepperidge parb cookies, of all things, and Uncle Ben's rice. So he's mourning the passing of French cuisine in France. What do you think? Well, I think it's uh, it's a very good analysis. Sadly, I think uh, Mireille see that she she spends more time in France than I do right now. But I believe that uh, 
you know, you have to live with your time and there is definitely this uh, invasion, I want to say, of, uh, of new way of uh, um, having a restaurant in France. And uh, yeah, that's true. There is, a, you know, around Perigueux, I know a lot of those uh, fast food and any kind of brands in a place where well known to, to eat, you know, duck confit and like I said earlier, truffle. Then all of that disappear. And this is, uh, this is sad because it's a part of our patrimoine was also, uh, also living, but those people used to have those traditional restaurants couldn't stay in business because of modern life, you know, and uh, then uh, those, uh, those businesses, those restaurants respond to, to a need. And uh, what Mirai say in her book is exactly that, you know, it's uh, going faster, not taking time and mm-hmm. also going easier, you know, um, taking it easy by going to those kind of convenience, convenience, you know, unfortunately, always the same flavor, etc. And that's, yeah, it's it's sad. <laughs> but there's convenience is available in another form in France, a wonderful institution which you really don't have much of here, uh, the charcuterie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you de- describe what that is uh, <laughs> on a typical Parisian street? Well, it's it's a place where you can buy, you know, from from good sausages to ham to salami, but also some some freshly prepared things like carrot, grated carrots, mm-hmm. yes. and um, you know some terrine, some pâté. And All made by Madame in the, in, at the store, so to speak. Well, yeah, by the family yeah. or by some workers, but at least, you know, it's all fresh. Yeah. And uh, y- that's how you can entertain easily because you, can, you don't have to make yeah. everything for your dinner. You go and buy a few things and a loaf of bread and you have a good, a good dinner. And that's a lot of what we call plat cuisine. You know, it's yeah. all those, uh, mm-hmm. those dishes who are like family uh, made, you know, but you can go to the charcuterie or other stores and to buy those kind of things. But, you know, that goes well. I mean, charcuterie, we are fortunate to have great charcuterie. And again, different from different regions of France. But we also have wonderful bakers. I mean, the people who are doing bread. Mm-hmm. And there is, from my perspective, there is no good charcuterie without a good piece of bread. I mean, one mm-hmm. goes with the other. And, of course, a good wine. And, and then you're happy. <laughs> God, I'm hungry. (laughs) 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 And we pause for our last round of commercials, then directly back to your calls. That's the great Charles Aznavour again. We've mostly heard Piaf, but we've heard one or two Aznavour <laughs> earlier. You know him, don't you? Mary? Yes, and that's a great song yeah. because it it shows how, you know, love and and uh, and the woman um, he compares it to a river and how the mystery of it. And I think that's how you keep love by by always, you know, keeping something and not not releasing it all. <laughs> keep your secrets. Yeah, a few of them, you know, yeah. give them out. Little by little. <laughs> Aznavour is one of the great French performers, and he's still yeah. at it, I gather. Yes, he, he he's gave a concert 80s. in New York just a few weeks Isn't ago. Isn't he into his 80s by now? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. It's amazing, yeah. 
but great singer, great song. Great singer and great composer. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Movie actor as well. Yes. Yes. He's in a number of mm -hmm. films years ago, I think. Yes. The piano killer. <laughs> shoot the piano. <laughs> shoot the piano. Yeah. Yeah. And um, quite a few. Yeah. We go back to the phones. Five nine one seven two double zero. Good evening. Yeah, how you doing, Milt? Fine, sir. Good. I'm just wondering uh, what happened to Jean Bachet. He used to own uh, La Francaise, and oh. I know at one time he was considered one of the great chefs in the Chicago area. Or maybe I'm sure he's still considered a great chef. I can, I, I can answer this one. Uh, Jean mm. is an extremely close friend, and uh, I'm very happy you talk about him because he is, uh, uh, for me, uh, some, someone definitely that uh, was in USA one of the, the top chefs. Uh, I've influenced a lot of the actual chef, and... Uh, uh, I can tell you right now is uh, somewhere in Florida enjoying the 80 or 85 degrees near Miami, Miami <laughs> over there. Um, and he uh, is still involved in uh, uh, directly or indirectly in the, in the food business. I mean, I'm working with him on some different things, such as uh, the next uh, fundraising we're going to do for the cystic fibrosis in February, where he's uh, always like, uh, you know, having the speech and organizing all the, the chef work. He's also involved on some uh, with food aspect on some different uh, things, such as uh, American Cancer Society. Then he, he, he tried to... Um, to, to give now, now we have more time to uh, to the people around uh, around us, and uh, and I think it's another aspect of what we do with uh, with food. It's something that not necessarily people see, but uh, I believe that most of us like to give back to the society a way or another by doing those charities. And uh, and John is a is a great guy for that, and he's very healthy. He's still riding his Harley Davidson. He still have a bunch mm -hmm. of cars. Uh, he's enjoying life. Thank you very much. You're well, thank you, sir. Glad <laughs> to have heard from you. Uh, five nine one seven two double zero. Let's go quickly to another, and you are on the air. Good evening. Hi. Yes, sir. Is that me? It's somebody <laughs> who somebody who imitates you very well. Yeah, he's a good one. Hey guys, great, great show. Love it because of course I'm from Montreal. Paid my studies as uh, working as a chef, <laughs> and I got a transport company in Montreal. And of course, my mom was French and my father was Italian, so that was a great mix. And hey, uh, just by the way, playing a little bit of Joe that say, ah, see two niggas, there's another lover too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you guys got a great show. We are talking about the wines before. I love wines too. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right about the red wine. Where, where are you calling from, sir? Um, right now, I'm, in, I'm doing business here in Illinois, uh, southern Illinois, about 200 miles. You, you, live, you live in Montreal, do you? Yes, sir. Uh -huh. Always, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you guys were talking about the red wine and the uh, white wine. Yep. Uh, for years, I've been taking, like, a good Napolicella or Lombrusco, uh, a little bit bubblier <laughs> that, or a Chianti. You know, it doesn't matter if you take white uh, fish or... Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, a spaghetti. You know, a white and red doesn't really matter. But there's one thing that I got to say. Uh, I will never mix red wine with desserts. Titty. The, 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 the style of creme or whatever, it just turns the stomach. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> well, what, what about the port wine? What about the what? A port wine, you know, a port wine, which is not really a red wine, but, I mean, it goes pretty well with dessert. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, all the, the rosés. Rosés also, why not? I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit better. Um, it's not as dry. I think it's more fruity. And, yeah, most of the time, yeah, 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 no problem. Well, sir, we, you are appointed the honorary sommelier for tonight's program, <laughs> but we're just about out of time. I, I do thank you for the call. Um, and um, 
it is close to finishing time. Um, the book, French Women for All Seasons, A Year of Secrets, Recipes, and Pleasures. Uh, what pleasures haven't we talked about? No, we covered quite a few <laughs> covered, tonight. Covered but all you of know, them. It's endless. Yeah. Uh, what secrets haven't we unfolded tonight? Well, what's the great secret about you that you want to share with us right now? Well, that what you can apply to food, you know, you can apply to all aspects of life, whether it's entertaining and uh, drinking wine and exercising and dressing, you know, fashion, is that um, less is more and less is better. Mm -hmm. So how do you apply that to fashion? Well, you don't need to dress couture. You can have one little piece, mm -hmm. you know, a nice blouse or a nice cardigan. And you favor the little black dress. Well, it's an easy, it's a classic piece. And yeah. with that, if you have a nice scarf, a nice necklace, you look fine. I can testify you look indeed very fine. You look even nicer than Dominique. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure. And with a black dress, for sure. <laughs> and with that, uh, our thanks to Mireille Giuliano and Dominique Tunia. <laughs>